Welcome to the Backdrop Untold Stories in Golf. I'm your co-host, Matt Considine, here with our fellow co-host, The Professor. The Professor, how are you this morning? Top of the morning to you. Before we get into me, how, how are you doing? Because I'm, I'm fiery again, so... <laughs> you give me some. I, give me this is time of giving. It's you know, I've been heads season. down. Like, how are you doing? Here's in the in the world of new club. I'm heads down. I'm hiring an event merchandise manager. I have been on nothing but phone screens. No joke, all week long, just hammering through. A lot of great candidates, just trying to sort through uh, all of it. A lot of different backgrounds. People with event backgrounds. People with merchandise backgrounds. People in the PGA. People not. Uh, so I've been heads down, and then every time I kind of look up and I, you know, glance at the internet, uh, the Twitters, the X's, the whatever you call, it, there's something else just dumpster firing in the world of golf. So I just kind of close the browser and go back to what I was doing, which has been kind of a sanctuary of just just being being able to focus on other people. Now they're thinking about the same stuff too because we're in the game of golf, but. Yeah, that's that's been my week. How about your week? I don't know. It's just there's just so much going on, right? Like like you said, you you open up the browser, and I've been really good, you know, speaking our conversation um, the other week about you know morning being heads down, getting my work done, you know, focus on writing all that. But then you open up, and it's just man, it's just like kicking. I was it's thinking about it, kicking, and I don't know when we're releasing this, right? But the ROM news just broke yesterday, right? We've had the roll, rollback um, conversations going on. So what would be the trifecta? So we had back-to-back days of a rollback uh, official announcement, John Rom to live. What would be like, I was trying to think of what would be a third announcement that just blew everybody's brain. Oh man, that just, I, I was thinking like maybe the PGA Tour needs to get in the mix and they like officially declare the players a major. Oh. Like they just come out and come out of left field and say, all right, we're, we're now a major championship. I was, <laughs> and that, I that was, would be kind of cool. I was going to go with the, the Open going to like the K-Club or something. That's what I was going to go with. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Open going to the K-Club. The, the Open, because that, that's great on two folds. That's like they're going to Ireland finally. Uh, oh, look at the balloons. Uh, they're going to Ireland finally, and and but they're not going to Port Marnock or, you know, they're going to the Republic and they're playing yeah, it, it, invariably, Firestone, Firestone East. It, invariably, it'd be because of like the K Club playing paying twenty five million dollars or something to like have the open, yeah. right? Like that's that's, yeah. that's why they'd be doing it, and they'd celebrate it as growing the game, and that's that's what we because that's how no, we do I mean we, that, we we aren't ever that timely on this podcast, so it's probably a little delayed. There's probably been other announcements or other news circulating around both the rollback and ROM, but uh, I did want to talk to you a little bit about it today because it is a, it is a stir. Um, what? Uh, but you got a fun fact for us before I jump the gun? Yeah, I do. Um, quick one because that's uh, you know we got some stuff to stir maybe. But um, all right, the moon. It's in your mind, right? <laughs> the moon. The moon. Yep. The moon. Ohio owns the moon. Just so we all we're all clear of that. Because um, John Glenn or yeah Neil Armstrong. What? Oh <laughs> yeah, Neil Armstrong. Of course. Right, yeah, on. we own the moon. Um, Ohio versus the world. Um, I mean, we, like we conquer the skies, right? That's what that's what we do. Skies in the space. Um, anyway, so the moon. If Go you had to take a, you get the moon in your head. Um, it's not not made of cheese. So where? How big is it? If you had to like put it into the Earth, like its diameter, how big do you think it would be? Like uh, the state of Georgia, uh, the state of the United States, 
across, you know, Russia, China, like what would you just guesstimate in terms of its its diameter size? I'd say like one of the larger continents, I guess. So Antarctica, isn't that a big one in That'd terms be, of landmass? Yeah, decent size. Um, kind of. I mean, we see it as big because of the way they, the maps are conveyed, right? We put take a three-dimensional object and make it two-dimensional, which makes things at the poles look bigger than they are. Um, but anyways... So it's a little bit smaller than Australia. Wow. Yeah. So Australia is wider than the moon by, I forget what it is, maybe 600 kilometers or something like that. Um, but Australia, is, that, is that enough space for Elon to, to put his condos? Is that going to work out? Well, you know, he'll figure out some estate? creative way to drill under the moon and like create a transportation system and, and ignore that we've had subways for a long time, right? And act like, act like a Tesla version of subways is some complicated, crazy innovation that's going to change the world. Uh, wow. Wow. That's, a, that's, a, that's the fact, huh? That's the, the fact. The width yeah. of the moon yeah. is the size of Australia. Huh. Yep. Fascinating. I'll give, yeah. you, I'll give you another quick fact on the moon. Let's say you use the basketball as the size of the earth. What would be the size of the moon? Golf ball then? That's actually pretty close. Um, about a racquetball, tennis ball, right in, right in between the two. How far away would it be from the basketball? Uh, how far would it be, man? I don't know. Uh, three rulers, a yard, a yard. Ah, okay. Eight yards. Eight yards. Wow. Eight yards would be. So if you're with your kids at home, you want to teach them a little bit of science, take a a men's basketball, a men's regulation basketball, say that's the earth, then have a racquetball or tennis ball. That would be the moon. Have the kid walk eight yards away. And that's about where it would be in terms of relative distance. I love it. I love it. I uh, also love my Titleist T-Series irons. Got to give a shout out to our friends at Titleist. Um, I'm so sad in in a little way that I started vibing with my T-100s as I was going into the fall. But we did finish up on November 30th, our quest for the crown. And I'm excited to to report the professor. Um, Titleist has gotten in touch with our our victors, our champions. They're getting their, their fittings underway. Uh, everyone's geeking out. The one thing I, someone sent a great reply. They're like, so excited. Thank you so much. You know, pumped to get their new set at T series irons, but they, they're like the, the longest iron I have in my bag is a six iron. So it, it, does this mean I only get like six clubs and Titus was so cool. They're like, that is such a, a like an awesome email to get They were I had a, com- a call with them after and they're like, that's such cool email to get. No, we're not going to like hamper you know, just because an iron is, is not an iron. If they want to get into the hybrids earlier, they want to get a couple of woods, like we're not going to fight them on that at all. Like we want you to play your best golf and what the fit is, is the fit, the fit is. And I thought that was cool. And and their obvious response was like, let's go do the fitting first. Cause maybe, mm-hmm. maybe you should have a five iron. Maybe you should have a four iron, you know, do, but, um, but likely not because he seems very, very happy with his hybrid game, which was I, I thought was awesome. I mean, th- that's probably why they won. It's a very self-aware golfer playing good golf out there. But um, yeah, thanks to Titleist for that year-end prize for our winners. We got a big surprise kind of coming up for new members of New Club. So if you're out there still thinking about New Club and checking us out, uh, if you get that application in and you join before, I think, end of January you're going to be entered into something pretty sweet, a little sweepstakes that, that uh, we're working on. So uh, thank you to our partner, Titleist, for supporting this podcast. Thank you for supporting New Club. Uh, very excited for more to come in 2024. Yeah, so, let, Professor, me, let me add one thing too about that. One of the things I was 
piggybacking on that, I was most impressed with working Tylus. Like they weren't pushing a singular product when, you know, we went through our fittings, right? That it really was. Let's figure out which iron, literally iron works best for this distance and what you're doing here, right? And stepping all the way through. So yeah, if you get to that five iron, it could be, it could be any of the models that they're that they have in their repertoire that you might get fit into, right? They're going to make sure the numbers match all the way through the set and they're not pushing like, oh, we got to push our crown jewel, right? Like this club is the one we need to sell. No, it's any of them that gives you the performance that you need. So, you know, through your bag, it's going to step correctly. Um, totally. And that was yeah, fun to did. see. That was fun to see that. You don't see that. You don't see that too often with a club manufacturer. I mean, everybody does great fittings, but they actually say like, we don't care what a singular iron is. We're going to give you the best one in your hand. That was nice yeah. to see. I, I, you know, I need, I need uh, simple things to help me remember and going through that distance control, dispersion control and descent angle and having those three D's like in my mind as I was leaving was, was super helpful. And then within that, there's a bunch of variables and obviously, you know, getting that gapping right was so fascinating looking at the, the ball speeds on everything. And, um, and yeah, just, they do a great, they do a really custom fit a great fitting process. So excited for more of our members to go through that. We will have some uh, Titleist fittings as well uh, for our Atlanta and Chicago members in in the new year, in 2024, likely the spring. Awesome. Uh, speaking of swing speeds, ball speeds, the rollback, we can't just glance by it. I mean, Professor, you're such a thoughtful guy. I know you've, you've dug, dug deep on this. Um, I wanted to, to spend a little bit of time just getting your, your take on, you know, the... It's out now. We've been speculating. We know what it is. It's rolling back for all. How do you feel? I don't, um, I mean, I'm going to probably... Uh, so I'll say this just to start out, just to like really make my position transparent. One, I'm very pro-regulatory bodies regulating things in terms of sports, right? So I'm, I'm, I'm happy to see them take action. I'm pro-rollback. I'm definitely biased towards rollback, so just put that on the table. This decision I'm 50-50 on in terms of I want to see it play out. I'm not, I don't know if this is the right decision. I, I probably would have gone club head and T if it was my own choice, but that's a little bit just a bias there. So put that on the table, just be transparent from the beginning. Also, like I'm going to probably speak with a lot of conviction on this, and I have a huge conviction on this, but I also want to make clear, I think it's, how to say it, it it's, it's unimportant in that, like, I don't think you need to do this to save the game. And also, like, this is not going to drive a ton of people away from the game. So anybody that sits there and throws out a message of, like, think of the golfers and growing the game and they're all going to leave and all that, that is utterly ridiculous. And it's more ridiculous than people saying we need to honor the principles of the game. Like, I, I will say that. Um, so, I th But at the same time, like I said, it's unimportant. If they made no change at all, golf would still be great and still be moving forward and I wouldn't have a problem with it. If they said, ah, ultimately, we're going to just pause it where it's at, like that would have been fine too. I've even said, if they said we're going to deregulate it a little bit more because we think this will lead to the growth of the game, I would disagree with that. But I would not be up in arms like, oh my gosh, you're destroying the game. I'd say we're losing some of the fabric of its, its history and, and its purpose. But Again, I'm fine with governing bodies making those decisions if they're run by good, good faith people, which I think this current USGA is. I think Mike Juan, like, I think he's proven himself that we should give him the benefit of the doubt in terms of like acting in good faith, what he did with LPGA Tour. Um, you know, my personal, I'd rather have like a Bob Crosby in there, like running things. But no, like, I think we got to give him a little bit of a benefit of the doubt 
and just say like, okay, rather than getting the pitchforks out, let's just see how this plays out. So all it is is just lay out my initial two minutes that no matter what I say in the next however many minutes and it has it will have conviction. I'm not implying at all that like we have to roll back the ball and we have to go back to 1980s, whatever, or the game's going to die. I just want to make that clear because I will, I might imply that with some of the things I say. Yeah. The, um, I had a college professor I'll never forget. He was a legal professor, the one business law class I had to take, but he, he started the semester by saying, I'm going to leave you. This is the only thing I hope you take with. And I did. And then he yells at the top of his voice, don't do nothing. Mm, mm. don't do nothing. And so the point was, and this is a, a obviously a, a lawyer, a legal professor, uh, it just always stuck with me where it's like, mm. when you know something is wrong, you can't take no action because it's only going to fester. It's only going to get worse. And so um, that that has always stuck with me. Don't do nothing. And I think that's the, <laughs> Mike Juan has said that in many more words, but um, I don't, I think it's beyond the point where they had to do something. And and I don't really agree with the, the the I actually think a more stern rollback would have been appropriate for the goals that they listed, right? Sustainability right. and uh, championship golf courses for amateur events and and uh, professional events. Where um, I you know I, if that is the reason, I think it's too mild in a lot of ways. Uh, but they did something, and and that I has to be commended. They're a governing body for crying out loud, like. No other sport. I mean, there's so many other examples. You could take a look at tennis changing and fooling with the ball. Nobody gave up playing tennis because uh, the governing body of tennis was playing with the ball. Like, no, they're trying to find to make as as things evolve. You're trying to find the most enjoyable, you know, I guess sustainable way to enjoy that game. And you know, and then it's it's the debates really split into obviously factions, but it's also talking points of uh, elite golf versus recreational golf. And, and I, I said this on, on mm-hmm. Twitter, my one day on Twitter each week, I uh, mentioned that it's funny, all these elite golfers who play for millions of dollars are professionals on the recreational game. Like last I checked, they probably haven't paid for a round of golf in a long time. And so I, I didn't, I, I thought it was a little funny that they, you know, are, are, Speaking, I think, well outside their lane, you know, keep it to to their profession and and what they're doing. But there's so much variety in recreational golfers, and there's so many more opinions. I, I think a, a professional golfer, you're obviously going to have different skill sets, different opinions on it. We've seen that they're they're very um, famous, noteworthy people. But you know, get get combine all the opinions, which the distance report mm-hmm. has of, of recreational golfers. I've, I've looked at that. There's a lot, I've read it. There's a lot of data in it. And, uh, and there's also a lot of subjective, um, opinions and it's, everyone has their own. And, and I think I, that was like Padre, I thought was beautifully mm-hmm. well said mm-hmm. of Harrington's a very thoughtful man. He's talk about, uh, a tinkerer. Yeah. Padre Harrington is a tinkerer and he loves playing around with things. So he's definitely like under, I, I think he has a deep appreciation for what a ball can do and mm-hmm. can change. But he, what he was very clear on is we're all so biased to our own experience. Yeah. And, and that really made me reflect on, okay, let's think about my personal experience with playing. I am a recreational golfer. Regardless of what you might think running a golf society, I pay for my golf. You know? uh-huh. 
And and because of that, I, I yes, I'm a I'm a scratch golfer. I'm a plus golfer. Um, I do have a swing speed that will be affected by this ball change, and I'm so happy for that because one of the things, Kevin. And this is true. And a lot of people may not understand this. I know I'm in the minority of, of golfers per se. I play 60 rounds a year. I typically am around par or, or better. And, and the one thing I can say is that I don't play for score anymore. That's, that's definitely changed. I do uh, like to hit the ball far. It's a strength of my you game. You love it's, to it's, hit the ball far. It, it's kept me, honestly, God, it's kept me like my game better as I found distance and, mm-hmm. and it's easier when you hit it further. And I know the game's hard, but the big thing I think from my, my personal perspective, and I want your personal perspective after I, I share this, but um, I don't care what TI I play. I don't care necessarily what score I shoot. It is... In, you know, I want to push myself and challenge myself. But the gap between the people I play with, I play with all levels of golfer and I love it. I love playing with, I don't care if you're a new golfer without a handicap, if you're a 32 or you're a plus 10. I, I just love seeing how different people approach the game, the course, the experience. And I'm out there for a match. Regardless of that, we'll, we'll do the math and have a nice match. That's kind of what I need to to focus, but also the camaraderie and that sense of community and sharing this, you know, beautiful landscape with with people that um that I like. And and so that's that's my like motivation. And I will say this, the 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 gap I feel both physically and and uh connectively with those with some of those people is inhibited by the mm. tees and where we're playing. And so when I go and play a white tee with those, uh, that's just say higher handicaps. I myself personally, again, my own experience, I feel disconnected from them because I am in some cases 60, 70, 80 yards in front. And and the, the challenges that they are experiencing, meaning I got to skirt around this bunker, I got to get it up, you know, with my forearm through the way, I don't experience. Mm-hmm. And so we're actually having a very different experience. And, and again, w- no like the world's tiniest violin here. I still enjoy myself, but I feel if, and I feel this way about architecture. We always talk about courses that are challenging for the better golfer and uh, uh, more accessible and playable for uh, the higher handicap. And when courses close that gap, you know, when I'm playing with my father and I play a course that closes that gap, I felt like Landman was one of those examples. Mm. We, We were out there with our dads. I felt like my dad was having a blast. He was able to get it on the greens, run it up, make make a birdie or two, you know, have a chance at it. And I'm like really stimulated because I'm like, all right, how am I going to get back into that pin, into that bowl or off that shelf? That, that, the courses like that do the same. I hope the ball does that. If the ball does that and closes the gap, meaning lets it spin a little bit, bit more, makes it more challenging for the scratch player, but yet doesn't really change the world for uh, the, the average player, the higher handicap, or even better, makes it easier for them. Like, I, I'm all in favor of closing that gap. And we all meet somewhere where the 10 handicap is. I, I just, I think that's my my personal recreational golfer uh, opinion. And I wanted to get your recreational golfer mm-hmm. opinion. I mean, I think you're still playing more competitions than I am. So you might have a little diff- different approach on this. But, and you also, uh, it should be noted, you help the world's best golfers. And so I, I will get to that maybe next. But you help the world's best golfers play their game with golf blueprint. And so, man, you... Uh, 
I should just shut up and, and hear what your thoughts are. Well, I think I, I want to, you know, we were hoping to have uh, Doc um, Darius maybe phone in here, but I don't think he was available. So I want to also, I want to throw out something he said to me that was one of the most clarifying things on this, this whole matter. And actually changed my opinion a little bit, like maybe where I would even side towards bifurcation. I'm going to circle back to recreational golfer, but I want to say this because I think it's just a thoughtful point relative to this, that at the pro game, like we should think about the pro game a little bit differently. And he had a great argument for a bifurcation. Like at that level, it should be different. It should be harder and so on, right? So I, I thought that was absolutely brilliant in terms of thinking about the pro game and with the technology problems. So let's put the pro game aside now, right? We're going to keep this about the recreational golfer. I didn't thought about I didn't thought about actually what you brought up in terms of the connectivity during the round. Um, I'm very compelled by that argument. I think that's a that's a great argument for sure. Like if we think about or any sort of rollback, it's just gonna it's not taking distance away from a golfer. It's not penalizing, right? It's a it's a relative change. Everybody's going to be influenced by it a little bit, right? So naturally, that should compress. Um, people in terms of their distance. And I think one of the best aspects of golf that you just hit on, and Will Knights had a great tweet on this in terms of like the ridiculousness of saying people are going to leave the game. Like the best parts of golf are the time we share with each other or with the course. Like that's also be clear. Like I've gone through phases like this. Garrett is a huge um, believer of this. Like the connection with the course and the grounds of the game are really why we play it, right? So Garrett's made the point like, Garrett's like the opposite of the it's who you play with no he's like it's where you play right like and you can enjoy that so I think at the recreational level yeah this I hope it does accomplish that right where we share more time with each other on the ground and there's less time walking back either 60 yards to this other tee and then walking forward 40 yards to my ball and not hanging out right that you have a little bit uh, I've used the word containment that that's my hope what the ball does. It just contains the game a little bit more because people are like, well, it's going to be slower because people are hitting it shorter, which is a little bit of a... On the, it's one of those claims on the surface that sounds like it makes sense and you think about how the game's actually played and it's the opposite of that. Like, you're still walking the same yardage. Um, actually, you're walking a little bit shorter yardage if you're moving up a tee. And yeah, you might get to your ball sooner, but you're still walking the same yardage and the same path. And then if it's contained more, you're walking less left to right. So overall, the rounds in the rounds I've played with rolled back technology across skill sets, you know, Peter Smith's ran a persimmon and blades tournament. Um, lots of this at Sweden's Cove. I've gotten some people at Athens Country Club to play with old equipment. I've seen a small pickup of pace, not significant because this has very little to do with pace. Most of the other stuff around pace is around other cultural aspects, United States golf, including stroke play versus match play. But there's a little bit of pace because the game is contained. And you're not going to have my attention to paying like, or you're going to have my attention relative to observing the extent we interact more and talk more from that, right? The more time, do we share more time on common tee boxes or at least just one split rather than two splits and those sorts of things. So certainly at the recreational level, I think I'm optimal. I'm hopeful that that would be, um, would be the case, but I do want to, I do, I want to get your opinion on someone that, you know, is really attuned to the business idea of side of golf, the entry into golf, people's progression through golf, not only because of the new club, but also because just your passion for people engaging in the game meaningful ways. I'm going to throw out a, a, what I could, would consider one of the viable arguments for, for not rollback. That 
golfer that's maybe not that's already onboarded into the game. That's not just do the I think because I think the golf the new golfer to the game they're not influenced at all, right? Like the game's hard or whatever you want to call it. Doesn't matter what ball they're playing. They're just trying to learn con make contact. Are you worried at all about like let's say that sixteen handicapper? That's, you know, been playing the game for a little bit. They're kind of on that upward trajectory, right? They, you know, they're fine. They finally broke 90. And they're starting, just starting to do that consistently. Are you worried about that golfer at all in this, in, in terms of this rollback and this decision? Hmm. Not really. No. And there, it's funny tying this thing to swing speeds. Right, because we're we're using handicaps as like a general, but I'll tell you one of the best. You said sixteen. I had a partner, Raj Patel. Raj, what's up, buddy? He's a listener of this pod. He has a swing speed. If he wants to swing at one hundred twenty-five miles per hour, Kevin, he sure as hell can, mm-hmm. and and he can carry the ball three hundred yards. But he is actually he's much better than sixteen now. But uh, he he harnessed, he contained what you're talking. I'll use your word. He contained it. He figured it out. But. He, he, when him and I were teaming up for club events and stuff, he was um, swinging really hard and, and he was a legit, you know, 16 handicap. And so he, he came to mind. And so he's going to, he will be at that level of swing speed that's going to, going to lose. But I, I mean, I'm just using one in person, which I think helps in these situations. I think it's, it's sometimes difficult when you try to, obviously the governing bodies have to do the consensus. They have to think about all, but you know, talk about real life situations. I I do this all the time now with, I'm doing it with interviews. I'm doing it with our members. Like, okay, great. That's your opinion on something. Will you do it? What do you think? You know? Mm. And that puts, that puts action to it. Mm -hmm. It puts behavior to it. Mm -hmm. And, and so I think about him and, you know, will, yeah, he's gonna, cause he (laughs) is a good friend. He's obsessed with his length. He's always trying to outdrive me. Like that's who he is. He is going to be pissed. I'm yeah. sure he already is. Um, but is he going to drop the game because of that? Hell no. Hell no. His pursuit, is it going to take away? Is that, so let's think, is that five to 10 yards? How is that going to affect his actual uh, score? Because this is again, back to the exploration of the ego. If he, let's say Raj is now a 12 handicap and he's looking to get to single digits, nine, and he was on his path to do that. Does what statistically do you think will will that slow him down? And I think I think that will frustrate him. Um, but there's other ways to get it done, right? And and maybe maybe the, I, I again I'd like to see the statistics on that. Like, what does the loss of that yardage for that person uh, affect in the scoring element? Because I'll tell you what. Long circle. It depends when you get there in your journey as a golfer. But everyone, I believe, gets to the point that they realize score does not contribute to your enjoyment of the game. Mm -hmm. The challenge does. Having mile markers and milestones to attain. But we all start with the premise as kids, especially American kids, that winning is everything. Your score is all that matters. And... I just, I'm just talking from my own experience here, man. I, I think we all get there eventually. And, and we realize that it's, it, you have to find satisfaction in, the, in just doing it and just playing the game mm-hmm. and, and taking on challenges and, and bettering yourself and, and enjoying practice and things of that nature. And, and so, yeah, he ain't quitting is my point, Kevin. And, and the, 
the rollback, I just don't, I don't think is much of a threat in, in that golfer. Yeah, I think this is the, this is the aspect that I thought a lot about in terms of who would, would people actually leave the game or not? And then people entering the game. And I think it's a very cynical view to say people are going to leave the game to this. Like, what does that say? about? I think, what does that say about your own viewpoint of other people? That's where I've come down on that. I think that says, cause it's nobody I, I've, I've not seen anybody that I would take seriously in there saying, I'm going to leave the game. Right? <laughs> that's, yeah, that's, that's I mean, great. I see people that's pissed off, and that's great. Be pissed off. Like, that's fine. Like, don't like it, right? Like, yeah, you're saying people are going to leave the game. Give me a name of who's leaving yeah, the that, game. That's what, me, are you leaving the game? And I think that says something about their outlook at people. And I made it like an asset versus deficit-based um, post on Twitter recently relative to instruction, but it's that view. Like, how do you look at other people? And if you look at other people in a way they're so on edge and so fragile that this decision is going to make them leave the game, that says something about you. That doesn't say something about the other people. Because I firmly be, believe what you just said is, is true. People play this game for so many other reasons. Yes. When you, when you get it, when you actually get the deep bug, like everyone says they have the golf bug, but when it is, it resides deep inside you, it, it, you ain't shaking it. Mm. You ain't. It's, it's, a, it's a lifelong thing. And I do think, you know, okay, maybe some people will leave the game. Let's say that, let's take that as a, a truth. I don't think, I don't know necessarily if it is, but let's say it is. I think that's going to be a very fractional amount of people, very small amount of people. And it's going to be a snapshot at one in 2030 that that will happen. But guess what? Everybody onboarding the game after that is going to onboard with the new stuff. They're only going to know the new stuff. They won't have this feeling of, oh, I was doing this and now I'm doing this. So they're not going to be affected at all. And I don't think the technology f- increases in the past 30 years have changed people's ability to get past that onboarding because you just are literally trying to make contact. Um, but I, I'm just not convinced that even if people do leave the game, it's a significant enough portion to be worried about um, in the long term. In the short term, certainly companies and golf courses got to hit their bottom lines and survive. So maybe in the short term, sure. But I think long term, it's, it's not a worry. Just in, in regards to leaving the game, I, you, what you just said, I was reminded of a McKenzie quote from one of his books, you know, Alistair McKenzie back in the first big, great golf boom. We just experienced another golf boom, but Alistair McKenzie said this about golf course architecture that if it isn't, um, I don't know, I, I got to look up what it actually would have been, but if it's not compelling, essentially people, people, and it doesn't have challenges and it isn't stimulating and, and, uh, adventurous. I mean, these are all the words that Alistair McKenzie used to use, which is how I love to look at the game. He, he said the people will leave the game without even knowing why Hmm. they won't even be able to tell you why. And so in that Hmm. thought, and I'll tie it back to the ball. And, and honestly, I, believe. Golf is hard. Don't get me wrong. It is hard and it's challenging, even at its current iteration, whatever it is. But it has been de-skilled and it has been dumbed down. And and even, you know, I just think if, if you're hitting toe balls all day to the center of the fairway with a ball that, you know, travels at 200 miles per hour, like it, it, it does lose some level of stimulation and exhilaration and adventure for me. And I, I'm sure there's other people out there that feel it too. And so when I made that jump to putting the persimmon in the bag occasionally, I do it when I play with my dad. I do it when I play with my uncles for the reason I talked about, which I want connectivity. I want to feel what they feel. I want to experience mm-hmm. something more in there. I, I'm like, 
and then I add that to a course. One of my favorite rounds ever was playing the loop with my uncles. And they all, you know, mm-hmm. I usually outdrive each of them by a hundred yards, but I was playing with them and playing a persimmon and the ball was bouncing and they were right next to me and we're just hitting the same shots and we were laughing and it was just so fun. Mm-hmm. That's golf to me, you know? And I think this is a, like, and that's why I, I actually feel it isn't enough in the rollback. I think it's such a small step yeah. towards what I'm talking about here. Um, and, and, I think, and yeah. I think Juan made that point too, to give him credit. Like in the, one of the interviews talked about like, this doesn't accomplish much of anything. This is just a step. <laughs> like instead, like this isn't bringing any of the courses back into the rotation. But I think an important distinction you hit, you touched on there too was the difference between someone that's been playing golf for a while and is like connected to the game versus the person that is just onboarding and new to the game. Because let's take the premise like, oh, the game's going to get a little harder. People are going to leave. If that was true, nobody would ever get past onboarding the game. Because think when someone first comes to the game, it is. You know, people know I don't like to use word hard with golf. And I think I'm like, that's a false contract yeah, difficulty. Yeah. But it right. is hard. Like when you're first getting on the game, like you, you can't even make contact. And yet no, those people stick with the game, which shows why is the game so addictive. It is because of that challenge. It is because of what happens on the other side of that challenge when all of a sudden you do connect that one shot. Like, I always remember Claire, the first time she hit a wood that got up and like went, it was just this like, I mean, I imagine it's golf's version of cocaine. The first, like the first snort, right? Like <laughs> it's dopamine like, hit. Yeah. oh my gosh, I got to go after that, right? Like that's why people stick with, that's why people get through that initial um, onboarding the game. Plus even more so their experience with the game and the other people surrounding it, right? Like yeah. that's to your point that People, nobody would ever get past the beginning of the game if it wasn't for when you have discernment and that one solid strike and you notice that it's different and it goes differently, which that's what you're pushing to have back more. That's why you would push that That discernment needs to be more significant so we get that feeling more often rather than hitting, like I can hit on the heel, the toe, or the sweet spot of my driver and it's they're all going to be three yards apart, right, out there. Like So that, but then your other point of like, the people you're with and the experience you have with those people is why people get past that beginning part of the game. Yeah. And that's what we should be talking about. That That's where I go back. Like I'm also tired of the rollback conversation because those are the things that like keep people playing the game and stick with the game. And like, we should just look at this, this decision literally should just be a governing body making a decision and just change. It's just changing the regulations. This isn't even a rollback. This is a governing body just changing regulations. That should be the, totally. the governing body has changed the regulations for 20 to 30. Go on, have, you know, go on your day, keep playing golf. That should literally be, it should be a one paragraph statement. The end, we shouldn't be rat waxing on for 30 minutes right now talking about it, throwing haymakers back and forth, people doing performative art. You know, That's around so true, like dude. it should just be like, okay, in 2030, the ball manufacturers have to do something a little bit different. You're going to adjust, you know, you're probably going to have to adjust your yardage and it's going to take you a couple months to do that. And then everything's what, back to where it was. What does it say about our sport that it, it's such a massive headline that we had this minute, you know, detail and that people are so outraged. I mean, I think it's, it says that people do love the game and they're oh, very like, very passionate. It, 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 it's a positive in a lot of ways, but also, uh, God, that's so true. Let me let me share with you something that one of our captains, our vice captains in Chicago mentioned. He said, you know, he hates that. Uh, sorry, I'll, I'll, I'll blow his cover here. Tony Caponegro. He is uh, a NASCAR guy. Yeah. He's a NASCAR guy. He works in the motorsports industry. And he just, 
he has a little disdain for all the F1 fandom that goes on. And I know you're a huge F1 fan. You got me into it through the pandemic. We talk about F1 occasionally. You, you, me and your wife send, send texts back and forth about the handsomeness of Carlos Sands. But, uh, but you know, he said something uh, pretty eye-opening to me in this, when we were talking about the ball was, you know, it's kind of like F1 is, it's a machine sport. It's about the machine. It's about the technology, the budget that these engineers put into it and, and how they fine tune it. It ain't a driver's sport. Mm-hmm. And, and that's interesting, right? But he goes, but NASCAR, the way our regulations work as a NASCAR fan, like it's a driver's game. Mm-hmm. You, you can say that the, the different, you know, car manufacturers, have, there's some slight tweaks and differences that they, they do, obviously. But you don't hear NASCAR guys talking about, you know, our car just isn't good enough. Or, like, I didn't drive well today. Mm-hmm. And, and I think this, this, I just, he brought it up as we were talking about this. And it, it, it just, it thought to me, it's like, man, I, I hope that golf is a driver sport and isn't a machine sport. I really do. I, I think it's too, it's too much of a skillful thing. It's too much of a, oh man, the, the artistry of golf is so freaking unique and awesome that if, 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 if it does move even more towards the machine game, I, I'm, I'm a little bit sad if that, that continues to occur. So yeah. to your point, Kevin, this is just a governing body making a rule change. Like if we want it, if, it want, if we want it to be more of a machine sport and, and you're only as good as your driver, you're only as good as the ball you play, well, then, then we'll end up in an F1 world. Not that that's not entertaining. We can, yeah. Now we're going to transition to the pro game. But, but I, I hope that it always resides with the golfer to, you know, to, a, to a large degree. And, and if you gave uh, Tiger Woods, Roy McIlroy, Justin Thomas, and, and whoever, Max Homa, a, a same ball, same set of, of irons, um, and the golfer, the one who golfs their ball the best is... Uh, the winner, I, I think that's a, the way the sport should hopefully uh, always be. Yeah, absolutely. Like you said something in the beginning, you know, don't take, take action, right? Was what your law professor or business professor yeah. said, right? And let's be, don't do let's be clear, if, if the USGA doesn't do, they didn't do anything, it doesn't do anything, someone is doing something, it's the OEMs, right? That, the OEMs are continually pushing <laughs> the boundary as they should, right? They do amazing engineers, amazing research and development teams. Um, they're amazing in what they do. So let's not kid ourselves. Like the USGA taking no action doesn't mean no action's being taken. It means it's still being like the OEMs are driving the changes in golf by getting better at what they do every year. Um, so, you know, I think that's where the USGA, they should come in and take action, right? To counter what the OEMs and then it's the OEMs job to take the new rules and break them out. Right. And, and, and move through that. But Will Haskett also made a great point on Twitter just to fill, I think that you're touching on a, an ideological or philosophical difference here too, right? Like we can, what's the point of golf, right? Versus an artistry versus dominate domination. And I think you can take that to the equipment side. Like what do you see as the purpose of equipment? There's not a right or wrong answer here. I think this is an ideological um, claim and, and to put my bias on the table, I'm biased towards the principles and history of golf and maintaining those. So I will lean towards the artistry side. And when we look to think about equipment, we can think about them as paintbrushes by which to embrace that artistry of golf and what the intentions were of the game um, and the courses and our relationship with each other and so on. Or you can think of equipment as just tools, tools by which to dominate 
the game by thinking about from a scoring perspective, right? In that world, I want better tools always, right? Paintbrushes are paintbrushes, right? And that doesn't mean you don't love paintbrushes, Patrick Boyd, right? We all love Patrick Boyd and Patrick Boyd loves paintbrushes, but he doesn't look at golf equipment as a, this is for me to dominate the game and I need to get the the best equipment that's going to shave that fraction of stroke and every year I need to do that. No, he looks at every single golf club as a paintbrush in and of itself to just admire and love. Think about its characteristics, its nuances, hit that one, then go hit this one. They fly different and embrace that and I should enjoy doing that and experimenting it with, right? But, but Kevin, the last I checked and I haven't looked at a while, the tool industry is quite more wealthy than the paintbrush industry. <laughs> Precisely, right? Like that's, that's a whole... it's harder. It's harder to market a paintbrush than it is to market a tool. You want to do this thing. You want to do it more efficiently. You want to do it better. You want to do it farther. You want to do it faster. Here's your tool. You want to paint a beautiful picture? Pick up a paintbrush. That's it's such a tough like thing for people to to get to. I mean, you can't market. It's hard to market. No, you can't. Obviously, the the companies can't market that, and they're doing the right job in marketing what they're doing, right? Like I wouldn't tell them to do anything different and they do a beautiful job of that. I think that's where it's on us as the golfer to be. I mean, it's just introspection is a huge um, underlying principle value of mine, right? To be really introspective and be thinking about, okay, yeah, this marketing company, what are they trying to tell me I should like, right? So we, we grew up in this low score, right? Get the newest, greatest thing, have it go a little bit further. Um, or farther every, you know, every year I had 2.3 yards now I had 3.1 yards, so on and so forth. You can sit back and, and question like, is that really contributing to my happiness? Is that really contributing to the enjoyment I game? Or is that making me always chase something? Like that was where I came down on it. Like that's why am I always in this perpetual chase for the next better thing, the more distance, like why is every year about that rather than just enjoying what I have and like really being present on the course and just thinking about like, what do I want to hit here? Like what, what clubs <laughs> do I want to play today? Right? Like the level of enjoyment I have now doing that, taking my persimmon and my four blades that shout out, um, national customs, Patrick Boyd made for me a great gift from, um, Doc Darris for my 40th. Like that's, you can have fun in other ways. You don't have to have the marketing companies tell you what it means to have fun, right? And this has been going on for decades, right? Go back to cigarettes, alcohol, whatever. Like oh. it's look at these pictures of people having fun and you know having their cocktail and all. Like you don't have to have like what is fun for you doesn't have to be told to you by marketing companies. You should always be questioning like why do I do this? Do I actually enjoy it? Or do I enjoy it because of certain social pressures that have told me I should enjoy this and be here, right? Um, and I think it's up to, and it, as long as you're asking the question, if you side on, I mean, plenty of people, no, I love going to the bar and drinking my cocktails at happy hour. And I, I do that. I love that, right? Like I am definitely a social drinker and I get a lot out of that. I have social anxiety and like those settings make me comfortable with it. But it's important to ask, is that what makes me happy? Or is there something else to try and go try something else? And if it doesn't make you happy, don't do it, right? Like try some, then, then go back to whatever you want to do. Go back to playing illegal equipment if you want to, right? I'm all, all for people buying illegal equipment, having fun. If that's what makes you enjoy the game, buy the whatever driver will shoot it, like Rodney Dangerfield style from Caddyshack that will just fire the ball. Great, do it. 
<laughs> yeah, you, you make a great point of the marketing companies. I know you were you were fired up about a few of them that were getting so riled over this ball uh, that that you got to ask yourself, well, what are they? Why is it is it a financial stake in this that they have? Is it? Uh, but you know, screw it. Try to. Bl- That's one reason I, I think a social media detox and even a news detox. Um, is is really important for people because if we're constantly consuming all this messaging, we just aren't giving our brain a break to think what you just said. Well, what do I want? What do I enjoy? Do I enjoy this or am I just being told from the social pressures that this is what I want to do? I tell new club members that all the time. It's like, hey man, like being a private club member at a physical golf club is pretty cool. It's like, very it's, cool. <laughs> It's nice. You can go hit balls when you want. The tee sheet's pretty open. You know, jump you on can the get six around. hole in the middle of the day and go play a few. I mean, there's a yeah, lot of perks that you know I yeah, don't want to give up personally. So, so do it if you want to do it, but don't do it because you feel like I've reached a point in my life where I have to. I think a lot of golfers get to that where they get this social pressure of success, whether it's you know peak earning years or it's I have family now and and me and my wife have have really like tried to internalize like what to your what you're saying. We get all these marketing messages literally and all of our neighbors are members of country clubs and we're like, are we losers? Are we like not getting it? Are we are we doing something wrong? And and we're like, no, we're just putting our I think what we want to do, like what we really enjoy. And for us is maybe it's getting in the car and going on a trip in the weekends or going to a lake house or going and seeing a new golf course for dad. Mm-hmm. I mean that's like my pleasure. So I it's funny, man. I'm just your. I know we're talking about the freaking golf ball and one little rule change here, but it. I think the reaction is more what we're talking about yeah, and what 100%. it says about golf and what it says about golfers and our mindsets. Let's get to the professional game a little bit, though. I mean, because this is, this is pretty. There's a lot happening. Not um, first, well, first off, it's. I think a lot of critics have said like the timing's atrocious. I mean, there is no good time. It's a rule change. It, it has to be done at. What is it better when? Uh, when the game's uh, down, go- oh, it's bad timing. Yeah. The game's suffering. If it's in the middle, we're in a stagnant period. They, you know, this isn't the right time to do something. No, there's, it's always the right. It's like having kids, right? If you sit there but, and wait for the right time, guess what? You're never going to have kids. <laughs> is is the clear? Um, is it clear on the professional golf side? So you work with golf professionals about optimizing their game. I mean, is this what does this do to them? Um, I mean, we're going to have to get Dr. Harris on here to talk at length on this because he has the whole baseball experience as well to put on top of this. Um, my personal thoughts are like, they're really good at what they do. Like regulation change, the, the best in the world are they're the best in the world for a reason. They're going to work hard. They're going to figure it out. And they're probably going to, most of them are going to probably remain the best in the world that, you know, work on it. Are we going to see some subtle changes that occur in what games are privileged or not? In the short term, who knows what's going to happen? That ball will come out and there's going to be probably some games. I mean, this goes back. This has happened in tennis. This has happened in other golf changes um, where just like a change happens and certain games are foregrounded for a little bit while everybody else adjusts, right? And while the younger gen, it's really then the younger generation needs time because the younger generation is going to be fully optimized for it because that's all they're going to know and they're going to come along and, You'll just see a new stabilizing and we'll be back to wherever we are and we'll be having another conversation about, okay, what do we need to do to the equipment? And I'm saying that in a way that that's what it should always be going on, right? So regulatory body makes changes. 
pros do what they do with especially the teams they have now. They figure out how to optimize that, right? The game likely grows. Swing speeds, I don't know if they can max out anymore. Again, Nico could speak at, at, at more um, length on this relative to some of the guys that like TPI he's worked with and that sort of stuff in terms of the science behind this. But they're going to optimize the game and then hopefully the regulatory body looks at it and says, is this a healthy place to be? If it's not, what else? What other tweaks do we want to make? Make those tweaks and really keep pushing the, the pro game so it's... Um, it's hard, right? The pro game should be hard. You're supposed to be the best in the world at what you do. The idea of making drivers make the game easier is, and that's where Nico clarified this with like made a really compelling argument with me. Um, I'm giving a lot of credit to Nico here intentionally because he he's brought up so many good points that I, I'm influenced by. Like the pro game should be hard, and the idea that we want equipment to make it easier is actually antithetical to what professionals should be doing, right? There's a reason pro baseball players play with wood bats that really, from a technology standpoint, have not seen major evolution however long, right? There's a reason tennis put a stop on the evolution of the racket and the ball. It's because at, the, at least at the end of this is where I would be fine with bifurcation. The pro level should, when someone hits a drive 320 down the middle, that should be impressive. It is no longer impressive. I am. Hmm. I can go to the UGA golf team, whatever, and just watch this all day. It's literally not impressive at all when you see that ball come off and you look at Jackman. It's three hundred seven carry down the middle. Like you don't think anything of it, um, hmm. and that's a problem, right? That I think we should look at that and say the pro game should clearly I differentiate who is special. Like who is truly a special? It did that with Jack? It did that with Tiger, right? Like that's what Norman is a driver of the ball. Sneed, right? Like that's what the pro game should do, and the regulatory bodies should always push that and try to make it so it does that. And pros should look at it from it's their duty to try to break what the regulatory bodies put in front of them. That's that's what their yeah. duty is. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think. Do you think it will bring in more skills? I mean, I I feel like at whatever 125 miles per hour testing the ball, they're going to see 10 yard difference. Um, is that going to? Are we going to see a, a behavioral change on the leaderboard? Are we going to see you know a scoring difference? I mean, I don't think so. I think small like in the short term, you'll see some anomalies that'll occur just because the ball like. Technology is better for certain players than others, right? That's that's unavoidable. It doesn't matter what regulations are in place. Some technology is gonna gonna sub, is gonna be more beneficial for a certain subset of type of golfers than other sets, right? So change is gonna happen. We'll see a little bit small shake up. I'm, I mean, to your point about you would like a, a, a more expansive um, change. I don't think we're going to see significant changes. I mean, I, yeah, but it that's doesn't what, bring back the courses. Like that's the thing that I feel is kind of crazy about this. And you know, the other thing I just on bifurcation, a quick point. It's kind of fascinating the number of uh, rational thinkers I'd call them, like yourself and Nico and and many others that are in the bifurcation camp. People that you know disagree with the rollback are okay with the bifurcation. People that. Um, agree with the rollback or okay with a bifurcation. I, I was, I was kind of surprised by that. I'm, I'm personally not, uh, what are your, it, yeah. What are your reasons? Well, I think the biggest one is just, um, <laughs> the, 
for better or worse, professional golf is a role model. And I, I think it's like, you know, you tell a kid to watch Michael Jordan play basketball and then tell him not to go do what Michael Jordan did. Like, it's just that they are going to influence so much of our worldview on the game because they're on television and it's, it's high stakes and it's at Augusta and things of that nature. So I, I just feel like they are, they do have a duty to all golf in, in, in that sense. Um, and so I think about it in the, how courses have, uh, added tees, right. Mm -hmm. And, um, even courses that aren't hosting major events are doing it because the PGA tour stop down the street is doing it or because Augusta is allowed to do it or because, you know, so I see like, this is mostly private, but public courses have done it too. It's just like this constant pursuit of more and 72 yard championship golf courses. And like that, where does that come from? Mm -hmm. Right. That comes from a, a standard that's being set and that's in the professional game. So I wish it wasn't that way. I wish we could all just say, you know what, I'm another club. I'm going to do it my own way. I'm Sweden's Cove. I'm not going to even pay attention to it. But the reality is the majority of golf isn't, <laughs> we don't have that restraints like we're just they're just gonna have boards and people that are gonna watch it and keep pushing back pushing back pushing back so i whatever was done i'm glad it was done for for all mm -hmm. because again i think it sets a standard i think it um it it's a they are a, a role model and and something that people are going to look to so that's why i am for or not for bifurcation but i i think in in the the pro game and, and watching a pro game. And is it going to bring in more shots? Like Rory was on record saying like, Oh, the, when the ball spins more, it's really going to add a layer of ability. More, more people are going to be in the mix on a leaderboard. Is that true? You think with this, at least with this small change? I don't know. I mean, I, I'm not knowledgeable enough to know honestly what this ball change is going to do in terms of spin characteristics too. I haven't read enough on it or heard much about the specific ball. And like, I know what I know conceptually what the testing requirements are and how those are changing. What I don't know is what that means in terms of ball. I mean, let's use curvature, right? Like does the ball curve more or not? Um, call that spin. Does it spin more or not? Like, I think that's, if it's not going to curve more, I don't, I don't see how much of a change happens in terms of leaderboard characteristics and the players that are, or whatever, like the driver heads are still incredibly forgiving and without a ball that's curving more than, you know, swing speeds can increase a little bit. You're going to, you are, you will increase dispersion a little bit. That's unavoidable. Um, so I just, I'm not convinced it does a ton at the pro game in terms of player characteristics versus what, what you would call for, right? Like I would want a ball that spins like the Balada. I mean, I've heard people make arguments for obviously lower tees, you know, go back to the one inch, smaller driver heads. I heard someone make, hey, they have to be all blades. There can't be a cavity back at all mm. with anything, right? Solid blades too. Like don't play this game where you hollow out inside. Like, no, it's got to be a solid piece of metal. You start, every club has to be there. You know, I think if you did stuff like that, and that's where I would want bifurcation. Yeah, I would, yeah, not, that, I would not want that for the entire recreational game. That's yeah, that's really if we, interesting. If we go it's back like to, play the same ball, but bifurcate the equipment. There you go. That's an interesting. Yeah, like take. if we go back to the PT fifteen, everybody's gonna hit that as a three wood. I could see people quitting the game. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, like, I might actually. Okay, like, now you're getting right, to a point where I might. Yeah, so like, like that's where I think the pro game it would be fine to put those constraints in and say like yeah it's got to be a solid metal iron head right it's got to be this mm. like it's got to be that i think that's i think the nascar f1 comparison is very very appropriate here in terms of like f1 
tweak that car, put it, you know, obviously they have some spending requirements, but the top team get to spend a lot, make it better. Where NASCAR is like, no, here's your car. I mean, at the, at the most fundamental basis, that is NASCAR, right? Like it's stock car racing and stock being a critical word there is like, it's supposed to be, the equipment's supposed to be as even keel as possible. Now, uh, I don't, I don't want to ramble too much, but like, I want to acknowledge the idea of everybody playing the same ball and same club is probably problematic because you will privilege a certain type of game, right? Like there's going to be mm-hmm. a certain style game that'll be official. So I do want multiple balls available, but that's where it's the re- regulatory body you get to come in and look at these like, okay, can I have this, this speed off of it, this amount of spin, like there's certain floors that have to be met. The iron has to be a solid head all the way through, right? That privileges ball striking on the center of the face, right? Like, the driver head can only be this big. Like, I think we do need to do some... I would be all for some of those things being done because I think if you did stuff like that, you know, you think of flushers like Rory, Tiger, Ricky, you know, players like that. I think Ricky was probably cost the most with the technology boom because he was a... He could do whatever he wanted with the ball. Like, he he was kind of Tiger Woods in terms of nine ball flights, whatever he wants with irons, holding them up, riding wind... He could do it just about better than anyone. New technology came along where that was no longer a skill set that was important um, wow. at all. Hey, so Ricky's a great case because I know his college coach was my college coach. You you had Donnie in your life and he he the way he talks about what Ricky was doing, you know, with the first Pro V basically was like, yeah, Tiger-esque, which yeah. is fascinating to think about. Yeah, and so... Um, let me was, ask you this. With, uh, and this is probably just t- uh, very much in the weeds and a data question, but tying... The uh, to swing speed, tying the the evaluation process on this to the swing speed. I think is it setting the tone for future. So 2007 was the last adjustment. Now it's tied to you know it used to be 120. Now it's 125 miles per hour. They're testing that. Does is that in your eyes the correct way to set up for future restraint? So in 20 years again, we're 25 years. We're we're looking at it and saying, okay, it's 130. Like, is that, is that, the, do you think the right, I don't know what you call that in the math world, but is it, is it the appropriate anchor? Oh, that's a good, yes and no. Yes. In the sense of anytime you're choosing called a benchmark or an anchor, a metric by which you're going to govern something, right? Like there's plenty of viable choices to be made and they all have different consequences consequences. And I'm certainly not knowledgeable enough to know what are the other all potential options and thinking through the implications of setting those as the, as the, the metrics. So I think it's certainly, it may, it may, it, it is good and it makes sense in the sense of that is one of the most primary drivers of golf swing performance, right? And how the ball flies is, is speed. And you think about a ball, that's one of the easiest metrics to judge and, and measure and make sure it's being, it's being done. Now, I, I think in terms of like long-term, long-term growth, like at some point, how, how fast can the human body sw- um, swing? Right? I, I imagine there, there is a ceiling to that where just the way the human body is built and what it's done, it's not like, oh, it's not like this can go on forever. This is not a in 30 years, we'll swing 220 miles per hour. Like I, you sound you sound like the guys that said there couldn't be a four minute mile. Kevin, come on, man! You know humans are capable. There'll never be a, a 20 second mile, right? I, I am confident. <laughs> well, I I don't know. We get in the world of like X Men mutants and like breeding, like <laughs> by all means, whatever. Like there probably won't be a 20 second mile ever. Right? So at some point, there's a ceiling, and what happens when you meet that ceiling? And then. 
But I mean, it's it's swing speed with other characteristics of the ball put together, right? That sets the regulation. It's not like obviously the COR is based on a relative comparison of just two speeds, but relative to what the, this change and all that, it's swing speed plus how the ball's performing at that swing speed. It can't do this. It can do that. So it's just that's it. So the no answer is it has to be a multivariable approach. Where, yeah, you're setting the swing speed because you're setting a test. So there has to be things that you fix. And then you look at the the, the changes in the other things. So the swing speed says we're going to fix it at a 125 swing speed. Then the ball, these variables in the ball have to be within this world. So that is a very appropriate way to do it. So it can't just be swing speed. and can't just be some other speed. It's like, okay. So my no answer is... They're going to have to, and this is where governing bodies govern. They figure it out, they make mistakes, they correct themselves, and they should have the power to govern because they should be able to look at it and say, okay, we kind of got this right, but we missed this right, we missed this ball. So now let's change the RPMs in this way, right? Like we need to make a change there. And they should have the power to do that. Um, and to be clear, I'm very, like I, in my job, I'm faculty governance and I'm very anti-authority. But this is a sport. This is a sport with certain principles and, and soul. And if we don't have a governing body, then it is beholden to societal changes and trends and fads driven by marketing, driven by profiteering companies. And if you think it's better to be in the hands of profiteering companies over a governing body, it's a viable perspective. You can take that, but free I, markets, I, baby. I would really, I would really push you on. Other than on the ideological aspect, the free market. Well, everything should be a free market. No, like go down to what are the are you be explicit about what that means and what the outcomes are of that, and then say you agree with those. Like you have, you can't just say, "Oh, I think it's always a free market." No, you you have to also say that means I'm also okay with these things. And if you're willing to do that, great, take that stance. But do not come to me with. I'm just all for free market without acknowledging these other things because I'm more free market proponent in most aspects of life. This is one where it's like, no, that is not a good outcome. Healthcare. Healthcare is a great example. Oh, man. Like, do you want a free market in healthcare? Do you want like the things that you will keep you alive? Guess what? How much you're going to have to pay for those? Like, because a free market will say cost and demand. Well, your demand for stuff that keeps you alive you're willing to pay a pretty high penny for that. So all that insulin medication for your your child that's diabetic, a free market is not going to be kind to you. So, some will say that though. Some, some honest to God will say like, oh, you want the the you know government inter- intervened healthcare? Well, it's terrible and it's it's not e- efficient. And <laughs> they it, don't they it, don't always do a good job. They certainly do a it, terrible yeah. job in several cases. Let's be clear about that. <laughs> so now we're on to healthcare. We talked about the moon. We got to the freaking moon today. We're uh, you know innovation. I think that's something that a lot of the I don't know. I, I have like friends that are adjacently in golf and a lot of them are entrepreneurs and really like innovators. And, and when I talk to them, they kind of think like, man, just let it rip. Yeah, like, why wouldn't, yeah. you know, progress and, and innovation. And I think your, your point's exactly right. Like there's a fair argument in that, 100%. but it is a sport and, and, and sports have to have some framework and rules and guidelines to, to all agree to. Um, and then operate within it. And so, and even outside of it, like I brought up with one of these guys that I was talking to who, who runs a pretty successful tech company. I go, well, what's your take on AI? Should AI just be running loose and wild? Should we, should we not you know, have responsible AI? I mean, there's this, this whole organization that's starting to you know, 
petition that we just got to have some regulations around AI, you know, and there's obviously the lawsuits of people who are writers spending their entire life becoming phenomenal writers now being re- not replaced per se, but they're, they're getting ripped off by, by AI. And, and I think it's like, yes, innovation, mankind, our creature, we are always going to be moving up and, and forward and to the moon, right? But within that, let's talk about what it's doing to ourselves. And I think that's where this whole conversation comes back to. What is it truly doing to the game? What is the behavioral shift? What do we, what, what makes us, we play for enjoyment, right? I hope, I hope everyone plays for enjoyment and maybe this transitions into the live discussion, but uh, I hope people play for, for their own benefit and, and um, the benefit of others and the enjoyment and camaraderie and community. I hope, mm-hmm. I, I think that it, that's what we say, but if that's the case, then does innovation and constant progress, does it help or hurt? And I, and I think that's a that's just where the the argument can be, and you you know that's where like bringing it outside of golf again, social media and connectivity, all that's innovation, right? Is it making us more connected, or is it making us more lonely? Is it is it filling us up inside, or is it creating more mental health issues? And I think that's like the that should be the discussion. And so so does it, I know it's back to golf now. Let me ask you a question. It, right? Does it increase the cost of the game or has it decreased the cost of the game? Mm. The innovations that we've had. And I ask that with, I don't have an answer to that. Like a that's not a leading question in the sense of oh, it's increased the cost. No, like, do you have a gut opinion on the innovations we've seen in the last 20, 30 years? And the answer could be neither, but have they increased the cost, decreased the cost, in some cases increased, in other cases decreased? Like yeah, you, I mean, you're in the, you're in on the business side much more than me, so you probably have a, a more accurate remove, sense of it. remove inflation, right? Because yeah. price point alone is up, so you gotta adjust for that. Uh, I I believe it has increased the cost of the game, and if not from economic standpoint, maybe from a cultural standpoint. And what I mean by that is, it's okay to charge certain things for. Uh, a club for uh, a greens fee for a membership. Um, I think that's the the norm has shifted, right? And and I think you know what I actually think is getting is skating by in this discussion with. Uh, and this is a fair argument of everybody who is not in favor of a rollback is um, course architecture and courses. Let's be honest, they're getting they're getting off easy in this. And if we want to go to the cost discussion, I just, I just mm-hmm. think that, yeah, balls probably shouldn't cost 60 bucks. Sorry for our friends, Titleist, uh, but you know, probably shouldn't for a dozen. Um, they're, they're great. <laughs> they work real well, awesome. uh, yeah. but, but maybe, maybe not, you know, and, and there's other balls on the market. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but golf itself has a cost crisis. I'm, I'm, I'm certain of that. I've spent a lot of time digging into it on both individual club level, individual public course level, uh, broad data from the National Golf Foundation. Nobody really talks about the inputs being what they are and, and, not, and asking the question, do they need to be? Mm-hmm. Do they need to be that? And, and things like uh, fairway height and, and green speeds and this constant pursuit of innovation on that side, Kevin, mm-hmm. um, there hasn't been enough introduced to remove cost. Uh, I think about, you know, are these robots that are cutting fairways, are they going to save us costs in the end? 
And and so I, I, it's a double-edged sword. There's going to be innovations that um, bring down our costs and make things more accessible. Uh, gosh, going from, I, I think of one that was back in the 20s when they went from hickory shafts mm. to, uh, to, to metal and, and things of that nature or different materials that were mass produced. Hickory can't be mass produced. You needed a craftsman right. to, to shape it. Uh, when they got uh, that, the golf, the cost plummeted, mm-hmm. golf soared, right? So we've had elements like that, I'm sure, in, in innovations and technology on the equipment side. But it's also... There's, there's just so many elements of why our game's so expensive, man. And, and uh, unless we talk about them, you know, it's going to be like healthcare and it's just going to be a disaster and nobody's going to really care anymore. It's just, oh, that's what it is. It's expensive. And it's like, no, but does it need to be? Come on, are we yeah. doing the things that are necessary for our enjoyment? Are we doing the things that are good for, for us as people? And, and that's me, let's meet those basic needs and then uh, leave the rest behind is my approach. Yeah, that that makes sense. That makes me think. You know, I'm not too compelled by either either side using the cost argument. Um, one on the constraint side with rollback on the other side, like oh, this will drive up the cost of the game. And I'm not I'm not compelled by either of those. Uh, and, and I think that's because of you just clarified for me. Like the cost of the game is influenced by many many other things. And I think holding this is not about the superintendents at all. This is about golfers' expectations for the courses and what they require yes, yes, the courses. Yes, that clear, for sure. Yeah, what they, they expect of the courses to be green, lush, manicured, every inch of the ground that's on property, that sort of stuff. Like, if we're truly concerned about costs, that's, we should be beating the drums in those areas and not, not, it just makes the ball rollback argument noisy. It just adds noise that we don't need to be adding when we throw in like, oh, cost concerns about the game with the rollback of the ball. I, I think that's a that's a more of a distraction than the things we should be talking about as we debate the rollback. I, I want you know who I want to talk to uh, the guys on Wall Street and how they're looking at this right now because. I would love, if you want to talk about the cost of the game, they are definitely having some analysts dig deep on the downstream effects of mm. this and what ball sales will actually be. I mean, the secondary ball mark is dead, right? So what's that going to do? That's going to affect it. And then, and then like, I, I, I just, I, I can't imagine. What, what's the marketing implications of this? What's the, like, if I am working at one of those manufacturers, my head is spinning right now. Yeah. And, and I, I wonder, you know, um, they're, Wall Street's got bigger uh, fish that they're trying to fry, but I'm sure that's a huge. The ball market's a massive, massive industry. Massive. I, I, let's get one of them on maybe and talk about <laughs> talk about that. But I, you did make a point, Kevin, and I maybe I'll end with this because we're we're well over time. We didn't get to other topics today, but man, I, I knew that if we started with this one, we'd provoke some interesting thought. The. Um, I actually forgot now that <laughs> it's it's just time to wrap. I think that's it. I think that's it. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, going back to where I started, like it, I really enjoy talking about the subject, but then the day that's not kid ourselves, like we play, oh, we play golf for so many different reasons. Go. And you just said it and you just said it. we've covered a lot of the business of golf. And, and I think today's discussion was a little different than a lot of what I've heard around the, the debate on the ball. Um, in that we're, we're trying to come at it from, a real uh, perspective of why do we love the game? What is it that fills us up? And and I, th- I think that needs to be done more often. And you said it like we need more golf coverage and less golf business coverage. Like the the, the stuff with Live and PGA Tour, man, 
it is just so now we got waiver wires, we got all this it's it's really like reality TV type stuff and it's it just feels like we're losing a sense of ourselves mm. in golf and uh i i hope there's and, and that's why we had a lot of good journalists on this year on our podcast and, and i hope if they're listening it's like hey do us all a solid i know where the clicks are coming from people are clicking on the next phil quote they're you know checking out john rom's video of his announcement they're watching all the drama but Again, is that good for us? Mm -hmm. Probably not. And and golf is so much deeper and it's so much, there's so much more we should be talking about. You know where my head's going? Michael Bamberger, save us from this mess. Write us something, write us something that is, is getting back to why we pick up clubs, why we turn on the TV. We're we're not, I'm not going to turn on just to see what team Rob's on. I'm turning on to, to see those guys face the challenges that I've, I've faced on a golf course and remember what it feels like to do that. And so I, I just, I just wanted to end with that, like as a call to action, that's, let's get back to the game. Let's get back to what we love about this game and, and, and let's share it and let's do it and let's play it. And hopefully we can watch it. <laughs> so give, let's uh, make this even more actionable. Give some names for the listeners to go to go read. Like I'll I'll start. I mean, Sean Martin has to write for the PGA Tour. Sean but Martin. He, he writes people stories, right? Like yep. he writes uh, people oh, stories. Uh, uh, a case of the Mondays. Uh, come on, Ryan French. Ryan French. Like, get him in there. KVV. KVV. Yep. Garrett. Yeah. Right. Garrett. Like, yeah. Those seek out those people, move them to the top of your follower list, and read and read their stuff. Right. I, I was struck by I was reading a bunch of Bernard. Um, Darwin recently and who's writing for newspapers and and stories and it's like they were all human stories they're all humanizing people stories even about matches like adding colorful flavor to them and that sort of stuff and I was like this is what we need this is golf like this diagramming the emotions of a match as it went through like that's what golf is right the emotions of a match with friends or competitors and thinking about that, at the end of the day, that's that's why we play. We play for no other reason other than that in our relationship with the course, obviously, too. Yeah, yeah, man, that's that's great. So less on the business of golf, more on the golf itself. And that's a challenge to us maybe too, Kevin. You yeah, know, right. let's, let's get back to what we love about it. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. Seriously, it's been an awesome year on this show. Professor, I love wrapping with you on, on Friday mornings. And, and we hope you guys enjoy listening. Uh, send us some questions, text, texts, whatever. You know how to get a hold of us. Um, uh, newclub.golf. And uh, Professor, have a great rest of your week. You too.